Ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise for the playing of the Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. And here's your host, Jana, and her big brother, Jeff. Welcome to Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Yet another episode for your auditory canals to feed your brain. And uh, if if you're not really familiar with this, if you're just joining us for the first time or you just started listening, welcome. We're happy to have you here. Uh, we are siblings. I am the older sibling, Jana. Say hey. And I'm the baby, the best yes. position. She the she the baby. And the only girl. Of, and yep. <laughs> yep. The so baby I used to, and the only girl. You know, stand in front of the TV just to stand in front of it. To torment you. Yes. <laughs> He's lucky that she's here today. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're both huge baseball fans, grew up with baseball, um, and uh, we just love talking about it. And because we're the only people in our basic families that are really into baseball, um, we're the only ones we really have to talk. And with all of you. If you choose to be part of the conversation, you can find us at Twitter, Sibling Rivalry BB without the A. And on Facebook and Instagram at Sibling Rivalry BB with the A. All right, we got a lot to get to today, so without further ado, let's hit it. The other day, I'm looking at my phone, and I'm going through all of these, um, you know, like in the morning, you look at your phone, there's all these different uh, notifications Yeah. Uh, you get from whatever, whatever, and I get this notification that says uh, for, uh, that from Twitter, and uh, the reason I got it is, is because it, it, somebody mentioned Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Our Twitter handle, seven sibling rivalry, BB, without the A. And I think, oh. And automatically, my first thought is, is that you posted something because you're a social media director and all. And um, you laugh about it every time, but you are. I guess so. I know we're a small shop. I do some parts. You do some parts. Yeah. And I edit the podcast Mm -hmm. and upload it and name it and all that stuff. Generally, sometimes we do that. But you do the social media. And so you I thought you posted something. But I was wrong. I got a surprise that you went off and were writing little articles for friends of ours at Nine Inning Know-It-All. Which was cool. But I was surprised because I didn't know you were doing that. When I read it, I knew all about that because you've been talking about that. And it seems like this is an idea that has formed over the weeks here on the show and other times. Not that you just all of a sudden did it and did that because you've thought about this for a while. But that, well, number one, if you want to read it, go to uh, at nine and you know it all. Um, how, how their their uh, Twitter is like nine in. I-N-N, know-it-all, I think it is. Yeah, and it's the 
it's the number. I almost said the it's the nine. letter. It's the letter it's nine. The letter it's, nine. An, it's the number nine. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So. She's she's the baby, all right. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. And um, an English major at that. <laughs> That's and works true. at a school. <laughs> the letter. I, could I? Could I give you the letter nine? <laughs> Pat, um, what, yeah, how about nine? Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> That's right. It is at nine, the numeral nine, N I N N K N O W it all. So, know it all. But the nine, nine and then in. Know it all. So, know it at, all. so, check them out. They're on Twitter. Plus, uh, website is fully spelled out, isn't it? Nine, yeah. nine any know it all. So check the dot com. Great, uh, great guys over there. We've done. Uh, we both did a like baseball means to me a couple of years back, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you did this, and um, actually uh, Kelly, I... Kelly reached out to me like uh, yesterday or today at some point to ask if I was interested, and I so said so we I... could get the rivalry going. To right. See who is so that way I can write. And what <laughs> well, a, I think we also wrote when okay. I think when Vince Scully passed away. I yes. think we also uh, wrote you did that. You've done a couple of times where you did uh, things just you with them. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so check that out there. They've got uh, and everything else they got on there. It's all about uh, all about baseball. And then, of course, you can also uh, catch up with our friends. Uh, top fan rivalry. Um, where we were on their podcast uh, not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, but for now, check out this the Lamentations. Lamentations. The lamenting that lamenting. Jana is doing uh, about the changes in baseball. It's, uh, it's brought her down. It has. It's hard. <laughs> I think it's hard to be a baseball fan right now uh, because there are so many changes. You still enjoy watching the game, but you have to get used to the pitch clock. You have to get used, you know, and then they have the challenges and they raise their hand like they're, you know, at a golf tournament. And there's just, I don't know. There's or in just, class. Or in class, you know. I'm just thinking of a golf tournament where, like, everybody, like, shh, you know, everybody they, they be quiet. Like, quiet. Yeah. Up. Are they going to challenge? Are they not? And it just seems like everything is becoming sanitized. That's a good word for it. I hadn't thought about it in that term, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, he he reached out. uh, Kelly Birds reached out, and you know, said, you know, you write something. Haven't had a lot of stuff. You know, maybe you could write something. And it's busy. It's a busy time right now. The end of school year. Um, but I had some ideas and that's what my lamenting <laughs> all came out. You had out. some ideas. What you really should have wrote at the beginning is I got a lot of problems <laughs> with you people. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about it. And here exactly. is my summer festivus. <laughs> or my late spring festivus. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just have an issue, you know, with, <sighs> The pitch clock, like, do we really need the pitch clock when, you know, growing up and we've talked about this, but batters got in the box. They were ready to go. You didn't see this, you know, 
you know, let me dig in my, you know, you, you saw that, but it wasn't as like a whole production like Manny Machado has or had Juan Soto. Like I mentioned, you know, 30 seconds for him to get ready. Right. Um, and then what about the pitch clock? As we get further into the year, we get into the playoffs. Are we going to have games decided because of pitch clock? Well, maybe. It's a possibility. There's not anything that we can say now to say that that wouldn't happen. Um, now, we did get, we were talking about this. You and I have been exchanging um, articles when we see them about different things about the pitch clock that have been coming up. Uh, you know, more injuries uh, for pitchers um, or uh, the most recent one that you just sent me was about um, how the um, blown saves, mm -hmm. um, you know, how does that go? Then today, MLB.com and their crack staff of propagandists um, wrote an article saying about how great the shorter games are because of the pitch clock. And no doubt, some of those things are true. But this is, and, and we can get into this in a second. We could talk more about what the, um, the blown saves. But a lot of the stuff in that propaganda, um, this is where we once again have to question Rob Manfred and the product that he's trying to create. Because there's stuff in there that we as normal, everyday, ordinary citizens, fans of the game, when we hear these things, we realize what's being said and all that. But people who are to the outside of us or the next runs back who are more casual fans, they hear these things. It turns them off even more from baseball. And the farther out you get from the hardcore circle, as it goes out, those people get more and more. Wait, you know, it's like when we were talking about uh, the um, negotiations with the labor stuff and the contract. It was put down as billionaires versus millionaires. Now, we know that that's not entirely true because there are a lot of players that are not millionaires yet. Right. But most of those most guys, they make a lot more than the average citizen does the average person going to see a game does not make anywhere near what the lowest paid player on the uh the field does whether they're setting the bench or not so once again baseball manfred shows how much he doesn't understand not only the game but doesn't understand the people that he's trying to draw into the game Let's um let's start with that though. Let's go back to your lamenting. Um because it's not just about the pitch clock. It's not it's it's about many other things. And, and while you did just touch on a few things, highlight kind of your article to the point that people still want to go read that. You didn't give it all to them. We'll give them the farm now. So I talked about the pitch clock. Um I talked about analytics. And briefly, you know, touched on the, sh the shift or, you know, the players using their, getting their little index cards out. And, um, you know, how 
you know, Willie Mays didn't have a card when he was out <laughs> out there playing. Uh, Jackie Robinson didn't. And even, um, you know, Ozzie Smith, he was, you know, he wasn't, he was doing flips and didn't have a card. Right. He didn't hit a spot <laughs> knowing that's where I have to do my flip. Right. None of them. None of the none. greats. Babe Ruth didn't have a card. Didn't, didn't, you know, he, he, there all of the greats. Yeah. You know, I was just looking at a picture the other day of four great center fielders. And it was interesting because they all played in the in the early 50s. They all played in New York. Duke Snyder, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, and Joe DiMaggio yeah. was part of that. And all these guys, did any of them? Mickey Mantle was probably too drunk to look at a card <laughs> half the time from the stories we've heard. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's true. So I, I talk about that. I also talk about the managers and how the managers are a different breed. My, the ultimate baseball manager for me, and I am biased, is Tommy Lasorda. I love Tommy Lasorda. And he stuck up for his guys all the time. Even to the point where I think during one game, uh, the official scorer had scored it an error. But Tommy yelled up, you know, was like trying to get their attention. In fact, they had a press box phone in the dugout and he calls up there and says that wasn't an error. You know, that was a, you know, single or, you know, whatever it was. And now they joke that that press box phone is locked. The I saw <laughs> that. Yeah. The other day they had a, they focused right into it. And yeah. So, I mean, he was the type of manager that just, you know, he was lovable and fiery and you just, he was just this great. So that's who I, I look to. And you look at Dave Roberts who, you know, he does, he just, there's no fire in these managers. And then you have the managers going back to the analytics that are just placeholders. I think Phil Nevin is a good example of being a placeholder. Well, you know, they, there was this, I read an article the other day um, and uh, Phil Nevin played for, and worked with Bruce Bochy. And we'll talk about the Rangers, you know, or we talked about the Rangers coming to town. And they asked Bruce Bochy, what did you think? He said, oh, you know, he's a student of the game and blah, blah, blah. And um, fiery guy, you know, and, and all of that. And I'm thinking, well, where is that fire? If he is. I, I And you're right. There's so many, so many now and a lot of these, all these managers now, I think Bruce Bochy's always been pretty laid back, but he's still an old school manager. Mm -hmm. But these other guys, they're not coming out. They're not getting too fired up most of the time because if they do it more often, they're just going to lose their job. They'll just promote the bench coach to implement what the general manager and his, his team wants to do. Right. You know, the computer department. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, the analytics department has told them what's going to work. And so these guys just don't do anything. And here's a guy in Phil Nevin and in Dave Roberts that were players and more so with Phil Nevin being maybe more of a fiery player compared to Dave Roberts. He has none. 
I don't know that the players on his team feel like he's always going to have their back. Like if you go to any Dodger who played for Tommy Lasorda, they're all going to say yes. I think any player that ever played for Lou Pinella, whether it was with the Mariners or with that, felt two things. They felt he had their back, but he might also, you know, strangle them in the dugout too, because <laughs> he had true. that intensity. But if you saw Lou Pinella coming out of the um, out of the dugout at you, I'd I'd be afraid. Yeah, he's, like fired up. And he he had that reputation as a hard nosed player too, and he and it carried over. Um, you know, there was guys you didn't want to see. I mentioned Earl Weaver a lot because he had that same kind of fire that Tommy had in in a little different way. Tommy was more uh, was was louder and more yeah. showy, but but Earl Weaver, Sparky Anderson was somebody that came out and um, he inspired respect from his um, his players. And he wasn't afraid to put the umpires on notice for not doing their job. And he wasn't the only one. And if you messed up, they called you out. Yeah. So I just, I guess the whole, the article is about, yeah, just about having baseball go back to how, like, we remember, like the good old days, right? And I do talk about pitchers and you know, we're excited because somebody has a one complete game or several pitchers over the entire league have a combined, you know, five complete games for the season or, so, you know, something like that. Whereas um, one pitcher would have 20 complete games. That was not unheard of. I mean, that was just a normal thing. And we, and so then, I think, what are we teaching these pitchers? And then with the pitch clock, you're teaching them, okay, you got to be, you know, in there. And, but I'm only going to let you pitch for 85 pitches. And then you're out. Right. Even though you could go longer, but, you know, we're all, we're going to limit you. We're going to limit you to the innings. And I get sometimes limit innings, like if you're coming off of an injury, you know, to a certain extent, but even then it's, it just seems we're, it's, everything is kid glove and like I said, sanitized. So right now, um, or as of the weekend, there's been 10 complete games so far this season. We're a quarter of the way through the season. Who will it be? Will that be it? You know, maybe somebody will have two uh, Chris Bassett, you know, just had one the other day. And then uh, we we always bring up that uh, like Sandy Alcantara uh, is one who's had the most, you know, six last year, I think it was. And nobody was even close to him. Uh, yeah. If you look, game started, which is uh, is like a bunch of teams, a bunch of pitchers have started nine games so far. You know, the top starters. So let's just say. Dylan Cease has started nine games. He has no complete games. In the old days, and we mean, you know, way back, you would have seen nine starts, nine complete games. Right. On a lot of guys. It would have still been a bigger number, even like in the 70s. As we've gone, though, like you said, in the minors, they're only they're only throwing 60 pitches. Now, part of it, I get, is it depends on what's going on. 
And do we need these guys? Do I need to see more players play so I can? Because in the minors, it's not supposed to be about wins and lots supposed to be about development. Right. But you also want to put a, a product on the field that locals want to see, you know, wherever you're at. It's baseball. We want to see baseball. And that makes me ask that question again. So thinking about it one more time. Are you more about the game or about the team? Those, And you're right. Those are the things that um, the points that you brought up in your in your um, in your article there, uh, you know, to me, set well with me. I don't know how they set well with somebody who's a casual fan. I mean, I know a lot of people who I thought were hardcore fans that are fine with all this stuff. And maybe it's just because they're tired of dealing with all the garbage. OK, if this is what it takes for me to be able to watch a game, then that's fine. Well, obviously, those of us who are big baseball fans, hardcore baseball fans, are accepting that as well. We're accepting what's out there. We may not be liking it, but we're accepting it, right? Well, well I mean, I think things change. We know that. But I just, I feel like Manfred has made so many different, you know, these different changes and I don't feel that the true fans, I mean, you have the casual fans and, but the people that, you know, like us, we never get polled. We never get a survey. We never get anything because they don't want to hear from us because they know our answer. And I think we just get away from when we get too far away from baseball, from the, it takes away the heart of the game. Yeah, because it filters well because it filters down, you know, it filters down from the mine to the minors into college into high school. You can go out to a little league field and you can see kids, you know, emulating their favorite players. Right. And, you know, so it filters down and we need to keep the, you know, there's a tradition. That's why it's America's, you know, pastime. It's it's America's game. Well, it's but, because. It at the surface, it feels like anybody can play it. Right. It's an every man's game. You don't, you know, when we think of basketball, you have to be tall. When we think of football, you have to be huge. You know, they you should be a yeah, really be big thick. person that could take. And in baseball, you know, we take guys who are, you know, I mean, just you think of tiny. Yeah. Jose Altuve is like Three six, and I think. Look at him. Look and where he has. MVP. Yeah, right. It's a game though that is developed into obviously a worldwide game, but it's a game that I always remember this. When I was in high school, I went out for football. There's a lot of people go out for football, but there was a certain group. If you walk through the school, you could almost look at the people and say, "That guy's probably going out for football. That person's going out for football." Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's basketball. True. Very mm -hmm. similar. Baseball, every single kid in the school, well, all the boys, <laughs> went out for baseball because everybody played Little League. Everybody felt like they could be successful in it. And then those who didn't want to put in the work that it took to be at that level, they all fell off eventually. Mm, right. Or they realized they couldn't. They really couldn't stand up and, they, you know, everybody made the team. We had a no cut policy, but that was the, that was the thing. But everybody comes out and you don't have to be 
you know, what we say, three out of every 10. Well, if you've ever tried to hit a baseball, you know, that's, that's pretty hard to do, mm-hmm. you know, but this, this whole thing of, um, you know, the, the way that they're trying to make it into, uh, put it into a nice little package and, um, and then color it up with some, you know, city connect uniforms or whatever to, to do that. So, because bottom line is what is it we're selling? We're selling gear. Mm-hmm. We're not selling a game. We're selling the gear. Yeah. That's more I, important. Well, right. Yeah. Well, I also talk about, you know, the fan experience and being, being able to go to Dodger stadium or, uh, Fenway park or one of my favorite stadiums. Um, cause I go there quite often is, um, at least once a year is to Coors field and it's a really nice stadium, but you can walk around, you can walk in the concourse, you know, you're walking on the concourse. Um, you can see the guys out there, you know, if you get there early, um, batting practice, working out on the field. Um, but now it just feels like you're, you know, it's showtime. You got to get in your seat. You got to be ready to go. And the pitch clock's there. What is it? Broadway? We're going to yeah. flash the lights, and if you don't get to your seat before the first pitch, curtains are closed. You're you're locked out until. Yeah, I mean, that's just yeah. how it feels. You know, I I just, so, yeah, so that that's what I'm lamenting about and probably will for the entire season. Um, but, uh, there, yeah. There's, for, for new fans that are just getting into, whether they're getting into the game or whether because, like I said, is it the game or is it the team? If you don't have baseball is a historical game. It is, it has held on to its history. As you can tell by the fact that even now, so-and-so did this first time since 1901, since 1888, since, you know, right. Um, since 1988 for that matter, <laughs> if you don't have a sense of those things, it's hard to understand what we have an issue with. So, uh, you know, there's a lot there. But what I, I like, we always talk about at the end, go see a game. Don't show up in the fifth inning or at this point, if you normally show up at the fifth inning, it may be the seventh or the eighth by the time you get there. Now, if you're one of those people who get there late, show up when the gates open. Normally. I know at Dodger Stadium, Angel Stadium is two to two and a half hours before first pitch. Mm-hmm. I think that's standard. Usually you get to see maybe the second part of your team's batting practice. So you may not see the first stringers out there. The starters take batting practice. Sometimes you will, depending on where you go. But you will probably be able to see the other team take batting practice and some of your team perhaps. And warm-ups and stuff like that. And all the pregame festivities. You can wander around the the ballpark. Um, you know, ballparks like Dodger Stadium. Now you can walk all the way around it. Mm-hmm. You used to not be able to do that. Right. Um, Angel Stadium. You can walk all the way around it. Coors. There's so many. Most of them now, you can do that. Walk around. See what's there. Get a feel for it. Go to the areas where they have the memorabilia and the history. Well, one of the parks that I haven't been to, but I'd like to go is uh, City Field because that uh, they have like almost kind of a museum 
in on their concourse because they talk about, you know, the Giants and the Dodgers because those are the teams in New York. And of course, the Mets colors are the orange and blue as a homage to the Dodgers and the Giants. <laughs> right. The orange from the Giants, the blue from the Dodgers, which just some completely last week you had asked me who um, or two weeks ago, I think it was when we were talking about the Seattle uh, City Connects. Yeah. And who the pilots ended up being the, the uh, Brewers. Right. I didn't even dawn on me. I knew that, but I answered incorrectly. I, I take that. But the Brewers primary colors are the pilots. Yeah. Primary that's colors. Right. I didn't yeah. even I it wasn't until after that I was sitting there kicking myself about it. So, you know, th- that's the thing. All of these things are coming because they want to make a different game that appeals to an audience of people that go may go to baseball games, but maybe they go just to it's something to do somebody had tickets to be seen. Uh, a lot of times, depending if you go to Dodger Stadium, sometimes you go and I've seen people I'm watching the game, but they're distracting because, oh, they saw one time we were there. Winona Ryder was was down. there. I mean, I've seen a few different celebrities from a distance. Mm-hmm. I'm going, look, there's Tommy Lasorda when he would come to the games or <laughs> Magic Johnson might come down and sit. Or Sandy there. Koufax. Sandy Koufax. <laughs> Never got to see him at the game yet, but that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but you see that and then you're like, they're all excited, constantly watching. I'm like, it's I can watch her in a movie. Yeah. You know what? Right. I I just go to a local store. She's probably shoplifting something. <laughs> I can see her there. Why do I need to worry about that? I'm watching the game. But there's other reasons people go. And sometimes they get excited about it. They see something happen. Hopefully, I've always had this saying, it doesn't matter how you got there just that you did. And maybe if you went to a game and you watched it, you got excited about some, you know, a home run or you got excited about a good play. Maybe that will be the next step to developing a love of the game or at least a love of the team. Well, I think your question, I think you could have a love of a team that could lead to the love of the game. You know, there's that connection. I don't know. It's something we should explore as we continue this season of Civilly Rivalry Baseball Podcast. It's time for Dodger Baseball. It appears that the Dodgers have gotten the memo. It is time for Dodger Baseball. And I think now we're starting to see, we've been asking the question, is it too early? When does too early become late? When does it become just right? I think we're settling in now. That first month, everybody's kind of going through things. We'll talk a little bit when we get to the Angels segment about something that's kind of historical with them about settling in, what the first month goes to, what the second month. One of the biggest issues that you and I talked about throughout uh, the first month of the season was the bullpen. And what issues? And I think that we're finally seeing, not to say that they're not going to have their issues here and there, but it seems like they're finally settling in. People are finding their roles. Hello, Evan Phillips, um, among others. And, and guys are starting to pitch either like we've seen them pitch before or they're finally 
you know, just kind of getting into what's the groove of this season. And the Dodgers, where everybody thought, oh, no, they're going to fall apart. The Padres are it. Um, no, the Dodgers have a good philosophy. And their philosophy is one game at a time. That's right. We don't. You may be the best team in baseball. And eventually they're going to play Tampa Bay, who right now has that title. But who's the second best team in baseball right this second? As far as overall record and everything, it's the Dodgers. And they're going to play Tampa Bay. They're going to play the Yankees when they play the Yankees. They're going to play any of these top teams just as if they're anybody else. Because no one game is any more important than any other game, nor is it any less important than any other game. Yeah, and I think the two series that we're going to talk about uh, kind of emulate that because the first game, they went to Milwaukee, and uh, the first game, not so pretty. It was not a good game for the Dodgers. Uh, Tony Gonsolin was on the mound. He did pitch six innings. He did have six strikeouts, no walks. So that is an improvement. Um, but the Dodgers also had to deal with uh, Freddie Peralta. So, you know. That's that's another issue. I mean, he's allowed five runs over 18 innings in his last three starts. This was no difference. Dodgers lose that game nine to three. And people could say, oh, well, they got out. They were uh, the Sunday night baseball um, game. And so they got out of San Diego and it went extra innings. They got out of San Diego late. They get into Milwaukee, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning. But Dave Roberts is like, no, that's not an excuse. Um, their right. hotel was haunted, you know, those ty- types right, of which I think you have something to say about that as we go here at some point, um, being haunted. And, uh, so yeah, I mean that, that's part of it. I think the offense really didn't do anything, you know, uh, Peralta held them to the three runs, uh, yeah. over, over, uh, the six innings. He struck out six as well. Um, but it just, you know, and the and the, and the bullpen uh, didn't back up Tony. He only gave up the three runs, like you said. But the bullpen kind of fell off. They could think, uh, really, um, if it hadn't been for Chris Taylor, uh, the only run was uh, Freddie Freeman scored on a on a ground out, right, uh, by Max Muncy, and then uh, CT three hit a home run like in the ninth or something like that, right that that brought him to three so uh you know it's not like you know they just gave up i mean willie adamas with three rbis and uh oh, what's his name weimer yeah uh, had four rbis he had a home run both of those guys had home runs so it, it just and and you know what like dave said there should never be an excuse and that's probably better even if that's the case that because they arrived late, because there was issues, don't make that as an excuse because then it always is an excuse. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Let the broadcasters do that. Yeah. They can they can make all the excuses. Right. But in the second game, Dodgers were well rested, uh, especially Mookie Betts, who um, you know, did not stay 
at the haunted hotel. So that's why he was feeling better. That's right. But you know, Noah Syndergaard in this game, this was a tough one because Noah Syndergaard started this game, but he was pulled from the game in the first inning because he had a cut on his right index finger. Apparently he had a blister and then it like burst, but it was, but they also said it was a cut. So it I don't, was the ghost of Rich Hill. It could have been, and he's haunting the. He's that haunting hotel. them. And where's where's Rich now? Pittsburgh, or he's in. He's in Austin. He's Boston. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember <laughs> where he had been in Pittsburgh. And he's, okay. Yeah, he's been anyway. around. But so, yeah. yeah, that throws off your whole game plan, right? You're because you're expecting him to to try to go four and two thirds to six. I'm yes. you know just based on on Thor, not on specifically, him. but on Thor. On him, yeah. Sub that neighborhood. And he doesn't, so the bullpen has to step up, and they did. You had Phil Bickford, Justin Brule, y- uh, Yancy Almonte, Victor Gonzalez, who has come back. We didn't see him really last season. He pretty much was, in, you know, he was in the minors, and he's come back, and he has looked really good. They combined to allow one hit over five innings, um, and the Dodgers had a 6 nothing lead. The Brewers' um, only runs came in the seventh with Rowdy Telez and Victor Caratini that homered off of Shelby Miller. Um, but other than that, the Brewers, you know, they, um, I think Rooster Gratterall came in and then Evan Phillips came out and he, I think, got a six save in this game. So, mm-hmm. but see, then you have this game where it throws off your entire plan, but it also throws off your next, the next day because. And, and, and could even farther just because you've now, you threw with including Thor eight pitchers. Yeah. Seven. So it's a true ball uh, bullpen game, seven pitchers to get through nine full innings of, ga- of play. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in this game, Mookie Betts, Will Smith, and Miguel Vargas um, all homered. And um, there's a total difference when Will Smith is in the lineup. The Dodgers win more when he's in the lineup. Mm -hmm. So it's good to have him back. And, uh, yeah, so the Dodgers win this game 6-2, to but now we have Kershaw Day. How long is Kirsch going to last? And uh, Dodgers win this game too, eight to one. This is the getaway day. They're going to go back home. Uh, Freddie Freeman homered. He drove in three runs. Clayton Kershaw uh, won his sixth game, and uh, and he went, you know, seven innings over, a little over seven innings, which really helped the bullpen out. So the starting yeah, he pitcher took care out of the bullpen. Uh, Took care, and that's a team move right there. Yep. Um, I, yeah, he uh, he definitely helped there. Uh, really, only gave up the one run, which was a home run to William Contreras, their catcher. Uh, they took took Wade Miley, who's normally uh, you know one of their best, and uh, kind of smacked him around three home runs off of him. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was a good it was a good ending to this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so tell us tell us what happened. Um, what was going on with Mookie? Why didn't he stay with the team? So apparently, so there's a hotel in Milwaukee. And I believe it's called like the Fister Hotel. Yeah. Uh, so and, and it's a it's a it's a really nice. 
It's not a junky hotel, which no, I mean, it's you wouldn't a, think that a team would stay in a junky one. You but, wouldn't think so, but, but it's, it's a historical hotel. It is. It's a historical hotel, and the Dodgers were staying there. Now, Mookie Betts said he has stayed there before, but he didn't get good sleep because this hotel is haunted. You know, I mean, that's the reports. And um, it's one of, I guess, many haunted locations in Wisconsin. Um, And I also read that it's arguably one of the most haunted hotels in the country. So I always thought that the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, where um, The Shining, where Stephen King took the that hotel, The Shining, um, that that would probably be more so. But no, this one is it. It's a historical landmark. And Major League uh, and baseball and basketball. So MLB, NBA all stay here. And they have reported that when they stay in the hotel, there are electrical anomalies. There are apparitions. There's manipulations. Um, Adrian um, Beltre, who he said that he heard knocking on the hallway. And... um, it's from the from those and inner tunnels on his door, and when he went out to look, there wasn't anybody there. That then he saw the air conditioning and the television switch on all by themselves. And then he said he was sleeping, and he woke up. And that see, that's what Mookie said. Mookie said, "I've stayed there, but I never got good sleep because." I always heard noises. There are all these noises going on. So Mookie got an Airbnb. He had some family, some friends in town, and they stayed at the Airbnb. Now, I didn't hear. Some of those things may be. Right. The hotel was built in 1893. So, I mean, they've got, I'm sure they've updated through the years and stuff. They would have had to, but still. Yeah, I mean, I, so, I don't well, know. It's it, it's a cool, it's a really neat looking hotel. It was, um, you know, like you said, it was built in 1893, and it was the Grand Hotel of the West. And I it is did. a really cool, you know, looking hotel. But um, he said, uh, Beltre said that he was only able the three days that they stayed. He was able to get three hours of sleep the whole time. <laughs> that's because he was in his head. That's probably a good <laughs> thing for the Milwaukee Brewers. Maybe that's why they do so well. Maybe they have some kind of deal with Plus the, they the hotel. Have priceless Victorian art collection. That's got to be kind of cool, but creepy at the same time. Right. And, uh, but it's right in downtown Milwaukee, right by the Milwaukee river um, it looks really cool. It looks like someplace I'd like to do a podcast from. Yeah. Like I this think... podcast would be fun. We can go to a, a game and, um, and I gotta, yeah. Remind me about, um, in fact, I'm going to do it now just to finish up Milwaukee. I meant to bring it up last week because the angels went to Milwaukee and right. played the Brewers, and both 
Mark Gubigza, who is the color analyst and their field reporter, Erica, um, both went down the slide and broke nothing. <laughs> Unlike David Vassay, who is the Dodger guy from the local Dodger station, 570 here in L.A., and uh, he went down twice and on the second one thought he'd get fancy and ended up breaking his arm. Right. Yeah. That it was it was not a pretty sight. So there you go. That's something that the Angels apparently they have tougher uh announcers. Yes. Than, uh, than it the sounds and they are more skilled on a slide. Uh, apparently. Apparently well they're used to it because at some point every season the Angels seem to yeah. Well, All right. So well, in the last game of this um, of the three game series, Will Smith and Miguel Vargas also hit home runs in this game. Um, Kershaw struck out eight. And um, yeah, this was the seventh time that he pitched six or more innings. So, you know, Wade Miley went five innings and but it was a good flight home. Uh, for the Dodgers because they welcomed back to the ravine the Padres. Charlie Steiner, who is the um, Dodgers radio announcer, answered or asked um, asked an interesting question. And it's something that we can think about as we go. We don't have to answer today. Are the Padres the Mets of the West? Or are the Mets the Padres of the East? Both spent a lot of money. Both got some bigger names or been trying to do that. Neither of them are seeing the success that they expected with the signings, with the building of the rosters to have. The Padres owners spent a lot of money and potentially will. I'm sure he's going to try to get Shohei. He's got Juan Soto, but he's got to try to keep one, and he may try to do both. But for all of the moves that he's made, all of the money he's spent, the Padres are not showing the success that everybody thought they would. And I think there's an answer to that as well. So let's talk about Padres Dodgers. And first off, you can either break it down game by game or you just tell them what the end result was and then we can tell them how it got there. The Dodgers sweep the Padres. Indeed they do. Um, you know, the first game out, actually, um, you wondered if it was going to be how the how the um, series was going to go. Blake Snell didn't look too bad at the beginning. Had his moments. Uh, but it was and and Dustin May looked pretty good as well. Uh, three strikeouts, only one base on balls for for Dustin May over six and two thirds. Here's the thing that I saw in that. Um, unless you have something that you want to talk about here with this game, it's something that I saw with Dustin May. Um, no, let's hear what uh, you have to say about Dustin May. I'm Dustin in, May. I'm intrigued. Was cruising. If you watch the game, he was cruising. And then we get, in fact, 
I think it was Oral Hershiser who said something based on his pitch count. Because in the sixth, he still was, you know, maybe 70 pitches. Yeah. And he said he's at this point, the amount of pitches, if he goes to 100, that's a complete game. He was really pitching well, cruising. I saw something in his eyes. And it changed. He was starting to have, he started to have a problem, a couple pitches that it wasn't that he missed a little bit and it should have, should have been a strike and just wasn't called. They were off the plate and nobody was chasing. He just wasn't getting any chasing uh, chases on, on some of those pitches. And mostly because they weren't just barely off the plate. They were way off the plate. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, I noticed that too, because after the, when he threw those, yeah, then you saw he kind of broke down. I'm not, I'm not saying he broke down. There but was he, a, but there, there was, was a, a, you could hear, you could see him thinking mm-hmm. differently about it and doubt. Yes. It. Yeah. The doubt, that's the worst part. And going from a potential complete game to being removed after six and two thirds. Right. I was a little disappointed in that because it would have been nice. Number one, we've already talked about how we feel about complete games, but number two, it would have really, um, it would have been a, a, a good thing for him and his confidence. Oh yeah. Especially t- coming off of Tommy John surgery last season, you know, last season. And, um, and he had a different, he was very demonstrative on the mound, which you don't normally see with him. Like he was really fired up after mm-hmm. every inning, getting no strikeout. You know, he was really, he was intense. It was a lot of intensity that you don't see as much. And uh, it all kind of came crashing down when uh, Hassan Kim uh, doubled, two run double, that, uh, that was pretty much it for him. And I got to ask this too, because I saw Juan Soto do it. And then I saw Hassan Kim do it. What is this dance? I don't know. They get on base and they do this weird dance. I don't know. I don't know. I don't I feel like that. They haven't understood that. And, and maybe we can bring it up here now too. They don't understand that. Um, they haven't earned that yet. It's like me standing in front of the TV because I was the little kid, you know, I was the pest and I'm just like, no one's paying attention to me. I'm going to stand in front of the TV. And that's kind of how they are. They just seem like they have to be noticed, which I thought that things would change with Bob Melvin. But they really haven't. The problem is, is that they don't have, they're not getting the results. So when we go back to that act like you've been here before, they're not capable of it because in their heads, they're still being um, put behind the Dodgers. Right. But they should be because they haven't really beaten the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. They beat them in the playoffs last year. But how much of that? was because of the Dodgers, how much of it was because of the Padres. There's a little bit of both, but the Dodgers 
could have won that and should have won it, but they didn't, and they moved on. Right. Here's the thing, and you can read it. Go out and read it if you if you um, the Athletic. I think it was Ken Rosenthal who wrote something about this. Why the Dodgers are still the standard, mm-hmm. not the dregs. And it's been brought up. I've heard it a lot of times, and I've thought this too. And we talk about it every time that the Padres win. There is a World Series parade in the gas lamp, which is right outside there. That's an entertainment section of San Diego, if you didn't know. And it's right out. The, the, the Petco Park is right there on the edge of gas lamp. And it seems like there's a party out there, which is cool. You, you get a win. Cool. I'm sure if the Dodgers were in da- in a downtown place or they had an entertainment structure afterwards, everybody'd be out there enjoying. When the Lakers win, they're at LA Live. They've got all those things. You can, you know, Clippers too are all out there for for now. So I get that part, but it's like that is the ultimate. We beat the Dodgers, and that's where we go back to the Padres are not the end goal. The Padres are just another team in the season. We win, we win, we lose, we lose, we move on, and we play the next day. For the Padres, it's beat L.A., beat L.A., beat L.A. Right. And in the second game, um, no surprise, because I gave it away, the Dodgers win, a 42 Julio Urias is on the mound, go seven innings, two earned runs, four strikeouts, no walks. This is the third straight game or start that he's issued no walks. Joe Musgrove is on the mound. He goes five and two thirds innings, gives up four earned runs, five strikeouts, and then four walks. And uh, it was JD Martinez who helped the Dodgers win with the three run home run, but it was Joe Musgrove after the game who said, I am so tired of us, you know, of them being in our heads or, you know, chanting, you hear the chant, you know, in San Diego, beat LA, you hear it in San Francisco, but it's different in San Francisco. You know, it's like the giants have won eight world series. The Dodgers have won seven, you know, they've won They're They're, they're very close. It's a very different, it's a rivalry that started in New York. And now we're trying to create this. Well, we aren't, but, the Padres, their organization is trying to create this rivalry that really isn't a rivalry. No, I mean, potentially it could be, uh, it could be, but you're right. It's not. And you know, that's the thing, like I said, the Padres did not come into existence as a major league team until 1969. Right. The Giants and the Dodgers were in the exact, they were in the same basic city, different boroughs, but the same city, and battled it out for all those years, and then moved out here to do it some more. Um, that That's the difference uh, right there as far as how rivalries go and the history of it. But the Dregs could, at this point, with the team that they have, when you look at it on paper, they should be better than this Dodgers team. Yeah, when you look at it on paper, but I think it's they just Musgrove kinda... said it. And I wonder, 
how much, um, you know, what does Bob Melvin say to his team? We need to stop. He knows how important it is to get past the Dodgers. But if you're not beating everybody else, if all you do is go through and now you're only pay him, play him 13 times a year instead of 17. Right. Or 19, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, 19. Um, if all you do is beat the Dodgers, so you win 13 games and you're not consistently beating every other team, then you're never going to get there. It doesn't matter how much you beat the Dodgers. If that's your World Series, then that's your World Series. You know, if if the Dodgers go, you know, to any of the bad teams around and those teams get excited and, and they, you know, have a parade afterwards, well, it's because the Dodgers, it just shows what level the Dodgers are at. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. And they're. I guess, you know, the, in the organization, the history of it and everything, it's the Dodgers. So um, in that second game, Juan Soto, who has not been great at the plate, did have a home run. Uh, Hassan Kim had a home run in that game. Machado and Tatis were 0 for 4. And the other thing is with the Padres lineup, they haven't been winning and their lineup is constantly changing all right. the time. And so there's no consistency. Um and in game three, Dodgers win four to nothing. Uh, Tony Gonsolin is on the mound. It was his birthday. And uh, he and four relievers combined three hits shut out. And he allowed two hits. He struck out six. He walked one. And he did lower his ERA to 1.42. So that is a good sign. Mookie Betts hits a two-run home run. Uh, waves at his mom on his way back to the dugout. Did it for his mom on Mother's Day. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Miguel Vargas doubled, uh, Freddie Freeman uh, scored, who he had singled, and then Max Muncy walked, and that was the, you know, that was it, four to nothing. Bullpen looked good, Uh, Almonte, Gonzalez, and Gratterall all put zeros up on the board, only Justin Brule gives up a hit outside of the two that uh, uh, Tony gave up. It really, uh, the three hits, all doubles. Padres, 0 for 9, runners in scoring position. So that says a lot about uh, the Dodgers stranding them, mm-hmm. keeping them from uh, from doing anything. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. did have uh, two stolen bases and one of those doubles. Yeah. Yeah. But good series for the Dodgers um, overall. You know, good win. And uh, they're going to welcome in the Twins for a three-game set, and then they head out, I think, for the longest their longest road trip of the season. They're going to be in St. Louis, Atlanta, and Tampa Bay. And yeah. St. Louis, when they saw St. Louis at home, they weren't playing so great. St. Louis has turned that corner. Um, and Apparently, so, Nolan Arenado <laughs> didn't like what you had I, to say about him. Apparently he's picking not. it up. Um, and, I need uh, to say nice things about him. Maybe and then he that's can, the case. So, uh, <laughs> twins, like you said, going to be in. I am going to be at the getaway game. Ooh. A 12 10 start uh, there at the ravine. Nice. And, uh, so I'm going uh, to go see my first game in person for the season. Nice. Uh, so, uh, so Dodgers and Twins. Um, so, we'll check them out. Um, and I do want to mention this is uh, on a somber note. Clayton Kershaw's mom passed away on Saturday. 
Um, his wife, um, Ellen, and their four children were at a dedication of a uh, youth baseball field for the Kershaw Challenge um, that they, their foundation that they have. And uh, she did mention that they were dedicating the field in honor of his mom. So our thoughts, you know, um, it's really hard when you lose your mom. So, you know, thinking of thinking of Kirsch because that's it, that's a tough one. For sure. Yeah, that's uh, especially like right there around days that are connected, you know, right. somehow. Yeah. Um, and Mother's Day being that or other holidays. I, I will say to move on from that every once in a while. They, you know, you've probably seen this when you watch at games, they put them on the headset and they'll talk to the broadcasters during an inning. Uh, I'm ready when Kirsch, not yet, but when he decides to, uh, to hang him up, I'm ready for him to be in the booth. Oh yeah. His he's insights great. are incredible. And he's sitting there talking about, he was talking about Blake Snell. They were talking to him in the first game and he was talking about how, Oh, last time we saw him, he threw a lot of these. Now he's throwing a lot of um, change-ups tonight more yeah. than he did last time. And, you know, I'm sure he sits through scouting and all that stuff uh, sessions with the other pitchers, but the stuff that he knows and remembers and can talk to his teammates about, and help them out with this stuff. That was pretty incredible. I'm. I love it when you're watching the game and they have Kershaw. I think they've called it. They now call it Kershaw. Kershaw's corner. Well, they and... did float that that maybe they should. <laughs> yeah, um, because yeah, he's a lot of fun and the knowledge. His knowledge is incredible. Right. All right. Who is your player of the week? So this week, I went with Freddie Freeman. He was eight for 23, 348, uh, batting average, two home runs, three doubles, six RBIs. Um, he just seemed to come up in every game. You know, he was he was there. I think there was only one game where maybe he, you know, didn't get a hit, but he got on base or he got a you know run in or something. Um, he seems to be doing the Tim Anderson on the base all the time. Yeah, he's always there. He's took he went to. Uh, yeah, he went to that Tim Anderson school we talked about. Right. The Academy, the Tim Anderson Academy. <laughs> That's Tack. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, cause he went back to back with Mookie back in game one home run wise. Mm -hmm. Uh, and really that's what pushed him over the top because at that point they, there, it was unsure what was going to happen. So he definitely, um, has played and see, that's the thing I like about, you know, they all, that's why I, he's the first person I thought of when I thought about that Padres dance is that he comes around, does his little toot in the horn, like, you know, blow the, the train horn as he's right. going through, but he's smiling, he's laughing, but he's also business. Like, Hey, here I am. I'm gonna get this stuff done. I'm going to be, uh, I'm gonna take care of my team. And, uh, so I like that. Yeah. Uh, I did something I normally don't do. I went with a pitcher. Ooh. And my uh, player of the week is Evan Phillips. Oh, nice. Evan Phillips uh, threw three innings in relief, only gave up one hit, struck out three, face nine, nine up, nine down. He inherited four runners. You know how many scored? Zero. Zero. That's right. Zero. <laughs> For a zero ERA on the week. So EP, which, and what's interesting is, is that you're talking about Evan Phillips as being kind of settling into the closer role, mm -hmm. but 
he pitched in the eighth inning and had guys behind him a couple of times. He's not having to be the textbook or stereotypical ninth inning guy. He's a high leverage guy. Yeah. And that's what I like to see. Yeah. All right. I'm going to tell you a little story. I used to work in radio and I always loved radio from when I was a little kid. I listened to radio all the time until we got a track player. Then we listened to a lot of eight track tapes. You probably don't remember much of that because you were either non-existent or very, very young. Right when we found you under those bushes and adopted you. The raccoon fought you, fought us for you, but mom and dad were insistent. Yeah, maybe it was just mom. I don't really remember, but um, I think it was because I think I was like, no, I was rooting on the raccoon. Like, we, I don't need <laughs> you any. were team raccoon, right? Team raccoon. Anyway. <laughs> One of the things, at one time, this happened. I was in radio. We had a new morning show at the stations, the company, the head stations, and I was listening to them, and they did this bit. And I've never, ta- I've never talked to the people that were did this bit ever again. I never even, um, even acknowledged their existence, even though we still work together. Uh, or worked for the same company for a while longer. And I saw them at a couple of different station outings because they made me turn off my radio. Not just turn my station, but turn it off. And it it really impacted me. And I'm getting to a point where the Angels play has almost made me turn off my TV. This last week, they had what we would think is a standard sub-500 team week. I'm not going to say they didn't have moments where it was like, okay, we're right there on the verge, but they can't seem to get over that. And honestly, it doesn't feel like it's a big hurdle. It's more like a speed bump and not even one of those speed bump that's hard, but one that's kind of just got a nice little flow to it. So you just little boop boop over it, not a boom, you know. Right, right. Now, they did win two of the six games they played. But they should have won more based on how the games went. And then they didn't because they gave things up. Uh, they welcomed in Houston to uh, to start off their homestand. Or not to start off their homestand, to finish up their homestand. They had Texas, remember, last week. Houston came in. And, uh, and just to bring it up now, Tiny, who's been out injured all season, has started a rehab assignment. At uh, at the uh, Sugarland uh, Little League, because they didn't realize when he went to Sugarland, which is where the Triple A team is, they didn't realize that he was coming to play there for a rehab assignment, and they sent him down the street to the Little They're League. They're like, "Sorry, that promotion, the Little League uh, promotion, where you get to march on the field, it's not yeah. this weekend. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays. That's, That's when right. we do it." But not this Sunday because it's Mother's Day. That's right. So anyway, uh, Patrick Sandoval was on the mound for the Angels. He went six and a third, gave up four runs on seven hits, only struck out two, which is one thing that I've been noticing that other than Shohei, nobody strikes anybody out. 
the Angels seem to be striking out. Remember last season, over a few games, they had like broken the record that no no team between 1901 and 1936 struck out as much as the Angels did in like right. three games or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're back to it, striking out 14 times in a game. You know, yeah. ha- almost. Uh, that's that's half. If if you if you get if you pitch a perfect game, it's 27 hitters up, 27 down. 14 of them are striking out now. Uh, you know, without I mean, they're making it easy. So this game, however, Shohei grabs a couple of hits. Brandon Drury has a triple, scores right. a run. Hunter Renfro with a home run. Uh, in the ninth inning, the Angels are able to beat the uh, the Asterix in spite of Alex Bregman's triple, uh, Jordan Alvarez's uh, two hits, and uh, David Hensley, who was actually playing third base this time as Bregman was the DH and his home run, uh, to beat them 6-4. to four. And that was the only win that they had. Now, the next game, they could have probably won. Shohei only gave up three hits. Uh, I mean, gave up uh, six hits, I'm sorry, but gave up three runs, struck out seven, two walks, but he threw seven innings. Shohei has set it out right, and and it was even in here. He said in these recent games, too many walks. I'm walking too many people, and like leadoff walks are killing me. And big innings. He's given up home runs. He gave up a home run to his buddy, Martin Maldonado. They had formed a friendship when uh, Maldonado was with the Angels early on in, uh, in Shohei's uh, tenure with the, uh, with the Angels. Um, and uh, so the, he did pass Babe Ruth for strikeouts. Yeah, he did. But they also had to deal with uh, Framber Valdez on the mound. La Grasa. And uh, he had 12 strikeouts. Fromber Valdez wears different colognes except when he pitches. And then he wears blue Chanel. Oh, now that is a stat that everyone needs to know. Right there. (laughs) And Mike Trout told Martin Maldonado a couple years back when they had, uh, when the, the asterisks had, Verlander and uh, Cole and that that Fromber Valdez was the nastiest pitcher they had. And I've been telling you throughout this whole podcast life that we've had four seasons, Fromber Valdez always makes me nervous when he's coming up to pitch because he just seems to control everything. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely did in this one. I mean, 12 strikeouts over eight innings, three mm-hmm. hits. Yeah. Uh, one of those hits, the very first home run of his career and of the season for Zach Neto, who seems to be really settling in. And uh, other than stupid eye black and uh, – <laughs> I, you know, I don't even, I think that uh, Abraham the Lincoln's stove hat, stove top hat, was not as high <laughs> as the way the Zeto, no, Zeto, that's, uh, that's it, that's Zach Neto, Zeto. 
Zeto. There we go. So I'm going to put that in reserve because he hasn't earned an SRBB nickname yet. No. We'll, but we'll put it aside. Does, Zeto. I, Zeto. I think I like um, <laughs> he, uh, he's, he's starting to really come into it and, uh, and was a good call up. I think um, so we'll see how it plays out. Uh, so we go to game three before the, uh, the angels, uh, you know, pack up to go to Cleveland and a day game could have been, you know, could have been a win. Could have been Christian Javier is on the mound for the Astros. Did, uh, did six struck out 11 of the 14 times that the angels struck out. Angels, 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position. Griffin Canning went a little over 3, gave up 5 runs on 5 hits, struck out 3, walked 1. It was uh, Shohei and Hunter Rinfro, who leads the Angels in home runs, uh, with home runs in that game. Uh, and uh, two, two, both of them had a 2-run homer. So there was the four runs, but they can't put it together. And uh, the asterisks take that one five to four. And so they they limp out of Anaheim, hoping to take on Cleveland team who's and, you know, there's something about that central division that the teams aren't really that great. Yeah, I mean, I think the twins right now are on top and everyone else kind of just falls behind. Um, yeah. You know, with the Astro series with the angels, especially that first game, I thought, okay, this could be really good for the angels. They could, they win this first game, they go and they win. Then, you know, at least take the series. They win, you know, two games out of, but it didn't work that way. And then they go to Cleveland and it seems like it's kind of the same MO they're, they took it to to Cleveland. They did and uh, started out the same way with an identical store uh, store, an identical <laughs> score. Maybe they should have just went to the store. <laughs> Maybe they should have just went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and hung out there. Might have been better for them. Um, well, not because they won this one five to four. As was the game before them, they did have a day off before they uh, they played them. Uh, got there, Tyler Anderson goes six, gives up three runs. Now at the end of this, we're going to tie something together here that all worked in the Indians' favor. In this one, they win it. Josh Naylor, uh, however, made it tough on them by uh, the eighth inning, hitting a home run to. Put the Indians ahead. Did that in the eighth inning. Bottom of the eighth. Anthony Rendon, three for five, but Brandon Jury, two RBIs. Shohei, couple of walks. Matt Thice, a guy who I never really hate, really like too much. He's becoming a solid everyday player. He's been catching. He's during the homestand. He hit pretty well throughout. So that was a good thing. And um, you know, they're needing that because Ohapi isn't going to be back until yeah. late. We mm -hmm. we have absolutely no idea about Stassi. What's going on? Yeah, he's just spinning on the wheel. Yeah, this game, uh, 
in this first game, it was Mike Trout that he had a leadoff double against the uh, um, Emmanuel Classe, and uh, they had a two-run rally, and the, they end up winning, like you said, five to four. And this was the it ended their ten-game losing streak at Progressive Field. Right, they had not won a game there uh, in uh, in you know years. Really, because yeah. they're only playing three there, so it's like four years almost that uh, since they'd won a game. Yeah, I think they uh, got their first victory since August third, twenty eighteen, in Cleveland, and it was just their second in twenty three games since twenty fifteen because the Guardians had won eleven consecutive home games in the series, including the one in last year at the Little League World Series. Oh, right, right. Yep. Then that was the end of it. The Angels came, they won one, and then they sightsee. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it wasn't quite that bad. Uh, although the game game two, maybe they should have because the Indians scored six in the bottom of the eighth where Josh Naylor hit a three-run home run to put the Indians ahead. So, you know, I mean, uh, Renfro and Drury. Those two guys seem to be becoming the most consistent players, not Trout and Otani. Every game, it seems like you hear Hunter Renfro or Brandon Drury. Right. Or yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reed Detmers hit the uh, hit the hill for him. Uh, five innings, gave up six hits, two runs, struck out three, walked two. And then uh, we saw the season debut of Mickey Moniak. That's right. Yeah. Called up and he got up and, um, you know, thinking that uh, Cal Quantrill, who started for the Indians, might welcome him to the uh, to the major leagues for this season. Mickey's been up before, but to start this season now, Mickey said, here I am and uh, took one out of the yard to uh, for his first at bat of the season. However, remember that eighth inning I told you about where they scored six? Yeah, they yeah. ended up winning eight to six in that game. But once again, another game where the Angels could have won, should have won. Yeah, and this is what Phil Nevin, I almost said Phil Collins, <laughs> Phil Nevin. Maybe Phil Collins should be. He could, he could every day come out tonight, tonight, tonight. <laughs> we're going to win. We need to win. Yes, and do that you awesome, know. you know, do the drum solo. Anyway. Uh, in the it's in the air tonight, team. That's right. We're gonna win. <laughs> but Phil Nevin, All right. we're gonna dance around the bases like we're Su Su Studio. Phil Nevin said, "You know we're playing well. It's just the one inning bugaboo." Yes. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know either. I don't know. It's the bugaboo. <laughs> but he also said, especially during the Ranger series, we're horrible defensively. He said, we're bad. We're not making the plays. And that's part of the reason that I'm ready to turn off the TV. It's not because they're not hitting. Sure, there's not a lot of situational hitting. I would like to see more of that from the supposed greatest player ever. All right. When your <laughs> lookalike is hitting better than you are. Yeah, he's the Mike, team leader. <laughs> Mike Trout, at this point, I don't. He's got 10 years in. He's done well. As of today, I don't put him in the Hall of Fame. He's been great, but I 
I don't, I feel like he's falling apart and he's become complacent. Yes. In Anaheim. And that's, I think that's, I think that's the big issue. I mean, cause he's a great player, right? And yeah. we're not seeing it. No, nope. we haven't seen it for several seasons now. In that game too, we'll talk a little bit more about this in, in, uh, in a few minutes, but um, Anthony Rendon leaves uh, with some discomfort uh, Renhifo uh, jumps in for him. Uh, at that point, Rendon, uh, when he left the game at that point, batting 301, just one home run on the season and only four doubles, has been contributing more with the bat. Is And I haven't looked at his fielding percentages and putouts and stuff, but I feel like that with the Angels is becoming more a more important stat going forward. Defensive stats. Yeah. The walks and the stats, um, you know, runners in scoring position. They're not, they're not bad, but I didn't mention it, um, with the Padres, but you know, the Padres are like bat, like two Oh one runners in scoring position. They're, they're only, um, they're only second from the, from the, or, you know, to the Oakland A's who are worse with oh. runners in scoring position. Yeah. Okay. So that's part of the reason why they're not beating the Dodgers because they can't score runs when they got guys on second base. How many times did they strand people? Second, third. Juan Soto was at third base. Juan Soto finished the inning and just walked out to left field because they couldn't get him home. Yeah. You, the Ruby slippers would have got him somewhere quicker <laughs> than his teammates could. And that has happened a fair amount with the angels, but They've been able to figure out at times how to get some runs in. The problem is late in the game, they've, they've had moments, but it's never really, with the exception of uh, Trout singling off a of Class A, which I was excited about because Class A is incredible. He's but we classy. need him. Exactly. <laughs> we need to see that upper. Taylor Ward really isn't. He's having his moments, but he's overall not those top three. We got to wait for Hunter to really bring people in. We're not seeing base on balls. I want to see Trout walking if he's not. Let's see better quality at bats from those guys. And that would help too, because instead of him flying out to end a game that they're right there on the verge of, that'd be one of those things where it'd be nice, like those rules they say, where you can grab any hitter. All right, Hunter, I need you up here. Brandon, you're going to go in and hit for Trout because Trout can't hit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I And, and I don't know. You know, I mentioned the Phil Nevin saying the one inning bugaboo, and maybe that's what it is because we look at game three and all of these games are close. You know, the 5-4, with the exception of that Rangers series where they were outscored like 29 to 6 or something like that. Um, this last game, four to three, you know, mm-hmm. they lose. And once again, Josh Naylor hits is... a home run in the bottom of the eighth that puts his team ahead. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to get to that in a second. The angels scored in the eighth and the ninth innings. Mm. They scored three runs and it just wasn't enough, but they stranded right. runners. and. That's part of it. And, you know, without looking, 
Um, I don't remember. I did see it, but I don't remember who was the last player uh, who made the last out. But they just, once again, leaving players on base, we know. Errors. It seems like there's one or two every game. Or misplays. Um, You know, it's like, um, I'm trying to remember who it was that they sent home. I think it was Brandon Drury. Now, Brandon um, scored on a play where he had a great slide head first, but he made sure that he slid with the he slid and got his outside hand to the plate and that saved it. But there was another play and I don't remember if it was Renfro or Drury may have been somebody else when the when the, the third base coach blew it when he saw the ball come and he saw that the throw was offline and he changed from telling the, the player to hold up at third base and he sent him the telling part of all that was was number one he didn't look to make sure that the throw was far enough off and jose ramirez who is a great defender only had to step over about three steps really from where he was four but it wasn't hard to get over there pick up the ball and at the minute that he saw that the throw wasn't that far off third base coach hands on the head like i can't believe i just did that he and it was like what are you doing i don't know pay attention if you're gonna be the third <laughs> base coach butterfield is the third base coach and he was just i don't know it was uh shohei and taylor ward in the night that had the rbis uh and part of the reason they had rbis was the rookies moniac and netto were both single and a double got on base, got in position so that Shohei and Taylor Ward could drive, uh, drive them in two for six with runners in scoring position. So not bad. Now let's go back to this. What did we say? Josh Naylor did game one, bottom of the eighth home run puts his team ahead. Game two. Do you remember when that one went bottom of the eighth? But yeah, three run home run. Puts his team ahead. Game three. Bottom of the eighth. Oh, is that when it was? Yeah. What was the end result of that? Three run homer. Put his team ahead. (laughs) That's all right. It was his third go ahead homer in the same inning in the series. And he is the first player since 1961 to hit a go ahead home run in the eighth inning or later in three straight games. 1961. Yeah. Who did it in 1961? I heard nobody knew that it was almost like nobody even thought about it at the top. It wasn't a stat that came off the top of their head. It was like, uh, he is the first player since 19. Never. <laughs> to do this was what the consensus was. I don't remember. I didn't hear the 61, but um, it was probably uh, in 1961. It could have been maybe Roger Maris. Yeah. It could have been Mickey Mantle. They were battling it out. Probably not. It was some, some guy, uh, you know, playing for, uh, you know, uh, a low level, uh, you know, just came off the bench. I don't know. Bubba Houck. (laughs) I don't know. Bubba Houck. Playing for the Colt 45s. That's right. So, once again, now you can't, you can't help that Naylor just had nailed it. You can't help that. He just had a great, but it wasn't as if he put it so far out of reach. He had a three-run home run 
and you lost four to three. How close was that game? You were down one to nothing when he had a three-run home run. You know, the day before, eight to six, he had a three-run home run. You were winning six to five. You were winning. I know that's the thing is it's these games, they're close and the angels just don't seem to come out on top. And it's frustrating, obviously frustrating for you. Well, because you're at that point. And that's why. But here's the thing. I can change the channel and I can watch another game. I was watching at times. uh, I found myself watching the Rangers and the A's play baseball. And I found their games to be more exciting at times. I don't need exciting. But I saw better games. And I saw more fundamentally sound games. It is this whole defensive issue that's driving me crazy. And this is where I have not been um, afraid to say that I don't like Nevin. But I understand Nevin's position on many different levels. He's there partially because they were going to sell the team. So you can't do anything till that's done because um, he is uh, an implementer, the puppet style that, uh, that Perry wants. I blame Perry for a lot of issues when there's relievers that aren't available. Um, and we're going to talk about a reliever here in just a second that we need to talk about for two different reasons. Um, But when it comes to Phil Nevin, I understand he's following the directions from above most of the time. But when it comes to your team playing fundamentally sound baseball, you're the guy on the field with them. You're the guy who sees it. You're the guy that called them out on it. Why aren't they better? And I'm tired of Anthony Rendon not making plays and then coming up lame and blaming I couldn't make that play because I uh, I was in pain because of something. I couldn't make this play because of this or play because of this. And I think it's getting to be time that maybe they start thinking about, I know you got three more years with him, but you're, you've cut players. You've released players, you know, with a lot of money left on their contracts before. And one guy they just did, Ryan Tapera, who sure only has seven million. He's not like 30 million on uh, on um, Albert or 28 with uh, Justin Upton, uh, 28 million. They had to pay out. Right. It's only seven, seven million. But they just released him because he's not having a good a good time. But uh, he's the the. The issues that he's had have been over just a couple of games. I'm not saying that, you know, his, his velocity's down. We know that he's not getting a lot of um, chases. They're not a lot of swing and misses, but, and he's got a negative war. He's got a 7.27 ERA, but that's been over three. He's pitched eight games. He was off. He had an injury. Not that that 
changes anything, but now they've let him go. What's going to happen with Aaron Loop when he comes back off of the IL? His is seven. He was worse than Tapero. Are they going to get rid of him too? And if there were a lot of relievers coming up or that we had in uh, in the uh, the minors, if any of those 20 pitchers he picked a couple of seasons ago in the draft were ready to come through, it would make sense. But we don't have anybody that's necessarily. Maybe somebody will be a surprise. Now, with that, I don't care that Tapera was released. I want to see Loop released, if you're going to go that way. And I want to see Rendell released. Gio Urshela can be your everyday third baseman. Or him and Renfro, Renfro, uh, Renhefo right. can play. Um, yeah. Drury can be at second or at first. Jared Walsh has started his uh, rehab assignment in Salt Lake. And first game had a little issue. Second game started to look better, getting some hits. So we'll see. Don't know how long he'll be, you know, doing that. But that's a step. And hopefully he's able to come back and play first base. And then we can use those other guys around the rest of the field. On that, I don't foresee um, David Fletcher coming back anytime soon because he's not having a good time in Salt Lake City even so he's not batting one something he's batting two something but it's just so i that's that's part of it though phil nevin should have these guys doing basic drills if that's what it's required get down on the ball major league in fact i don't even have to go to the movie major league where they're corbin burnson and he's like no more of this Olay stuff get down on the ball get in front of the ball i remember that too you know, the idea, do you have a back problem? Then bend over, get the ball on the ground, put your glove on the ground. The basics that we learned back there. Sometimes you got to go to the fundamentals and they haven't been doing that. And that's what makes me want to turn off the TV because as much as I love the team, it is about the game for me. And I hate to see them tearing that up. Uh, Angels head to uh, my other favorite team these days, um, who we'll talk a little bit about in uh, uh, around baseball, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the Angels have four there at uh, Camden Yards. And then uh, and then they get to head back home uh, to pick up uh, the twins who will finish up with the Dodgers and then go to Anaheim. Yeah. Nice scheduling. Finally. Yeah. Somebody got it right. All right. Who's your player of the week? Uh, I went with the rookie. I went with Zach Neto. Zetto. <laughs> I, I did as well. How about that? I did. I mean, he hit 300 on the week. Uh, six hits, four runs, two home runs. His first two of his uh, major league career. And uh, didn't walk at all, but... Uh, which he needs to develop that eye, but he really, like I said earlier, starting to show himself as a, a solid part of the, and he's, he's shown that he's a, uh, he's a good uh, short start, short stop so far. And um, the angels have the opposite of the Dodgers. When they come home, they have a long homestand. The Dodgers aren't a long road trip. Yeah. Cause they have uh, the twins. And then I think Boston comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, they have the twins, the Sox, and the Marlins. Oh, that's right. The Marlins. And then they head out to see our old friend, 
Joe Kelly. Ah. And Tim Anderson. Uh, do you have your shoes on? I don't. The bullpen cart has a flat tire. We're walking today. Ooh, I better grab my shoes. Yeah, so throw those on and uh, and share with us as we always start with the MLB Players of the Week in Around Baseball. All right, Players of the Week in the American League. Anthony Rizzo, 444 average with a 1.315 OPS. That is on base plus the slugging percentage. Three home runs, seven RBIs in 10 games. And in the NL, it's a pitcher, Pittsburgh's Mitch Keller. Zero runs allowed, 21 strikeouts, eight hits, one walk in 16 innings pitched. Now, it's interesting that you bring him up because I made note of him before I realized he was the player of the week. Because there's a story that was on MLB about him and him being like seconds away from just being cut and maybe even being out of baseball, uh, you know, a ba- not being a very good reliever. And uh, this season he has truly turned it around and has become their ace. Yeah. Um, so it's cool to see that. Uh, and since we talked about them, I, I mentioned, I wanted to talk about um, uh, the Orioles. Well, the Orioles in Pittsburgh played in a preview of my World Series picks, and he came out the way that I predicted the World Series would, with the Orioles winning two of the three. My issue, though, with that is, well, maybe not an issue, because the Pirates have been losing. Yeah. As of the weekend, the Pirates uh, were 22-19, and after being like 21 and 10 at one point, they yeah. dropped to second place, but I said they would be the wild card. That's true. You did. So, And they will still be the wild card if everything ended today, because uh, Milwaukee would win, uh, win the, the uh, Central. So I just need them to stay focused. Mitch Keller to keep pitching that in the Orioles, uh, who I'll get to see, you know, or have seen during this last week as they played the Angels. So uh, pretty excited about that. But uh, just wanted to mention that, that the O's beat Pittsburgh in the only time that they'll match up this season. And uh, so just as a preview of late October. All right. Uh, Zach Grinke, talking about pitchers, he became the fifth pitcher to strike out 1,000 different batters in his career. He joins Hall of Famers Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson, and Greg Maddox, as well as seven-time Cy Young Award winner Roger Clemens. Non-Hall of Famer. Exactly. But, and you know, sometimes you could say through no fault of his own. No, this is only his fault that he's not in (laughs) the Hall of Fame because of should he be there? Now, let me ask you this, just since we brought it up and just popped in my head, um, because we both believe Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Should Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, based on what they did on the field, be there? Because think about it. If Barry Bonds is is uh, batting against Roger Clemens, is it an unfair advantage on either side? Uh, yeah, if you look at it that way, no. I mean, But the only unfair advantage is, is I think Barry Bonds had a better steroid salesman mm, I than think, Clemens. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. 
<sighs> I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I don't that's, know. Uh, I mean, that's just they both of them just. Yeah, no, Pete Rose definitely deserves to be in the hall, uh, not the other two. All right. Uh, yeah, well, that's a cliff we can fall off some yes, other. Yes, we can fall off that one. Um, You sent me a story, and I hadn't even noticed the guy wasn't around, and that was Angel Her- Hernandez, you know, everyone's favorite right. umpire. Um, he was the first base umpire on April 3rd for the Giants versus the White Sox. And since then, we haven't seen him. Nobody knows where he is. You know, is he with Jimmy Hoffa? I don't Where's know. Angel? <laughs> He's with Where's, Waldo. He's with Waldo. Uh, Carmen Sandiego. He's with <laughs> where all of them. in the world is Angel Hernandez? That's right. So I used to like to watch that. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah. World is Carmen San Diego. It's like on PBS or something. Yeah, and they actually um there was a a computer game that you oh, could right. that you could play and that was fun. Uh, I remember but, that, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but he ha- so nobody knows where he's been and people started noticing and uh, the umpire association finally came out because they nobody said anything. They finally came out and said that he's on medical leave. So hopefully everything is okay for him. Um, you know, yeah, we don't like medical. the guy, but that doesn't mean we want anything bad, you know, happening. Right. Or, and some people thought, well, maybe he just retired, but no. I well, <laughs> and I, I think sometime too there was that. Did is, is he finally being disciplined for just being a right? That's that was the he, other. That was the other thing. So, um, and you know what? I think we didn't have chance to miss him because there's so many other umpires who are trying to take his place as bad umpires. Exactly. What's his name? Uh, Beck or whatever his name is that uh, uh, I, we were talking about. He's been uh, the, trying to put himself out there that uh, threw out Willie Adamas uh, yeah. during the Angel series. He's, his name has popped up a few other times since then I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. He's so. trying to, he's trying to make a name for himself. That's true. Since we have mentioned uh, college baseball, we're getting close, getting real close to tournament. Wake forest is still number one, but LSU fell to number five Ooh. because they lost a home series to Mississippi State. Yep, Mississippi State. I saw that, and I thought automatically we've mentioned Mississippi State the, and hadn't seen them. Now we know. Um, you know, I did notice uh, I was going through some past uh, issues of Baseball America, and they were the cover right before college season started. So I wonder if that finally caught up with them. And then we piled on with the SRBB <laughs> curse, apparently. Yes. Which which is only a thing to us, but if you want to go out there and start perpetuating that, please do so. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do that. Hey, did you see, um, the other day, Aaron judge that, uh, Toronto blue Jays had some issues with him apparently looking into his dugout. Right. It kind of was like a side eye kind of thing. Yeah. They thought that maybe he was getting something out of that is what they tried to, uh, you know, uh, say without saying it, that was what they were, you know, alluding to was that maybe they were stealing signs or something. 
did you see about that? Did I did. It? I did see about it. Yeah. And I watched it. You know, he's look, he keeps looking over and, and they're like, well, maybe he's looking at the catcher, but he's not looking at the catcher. He's obviously looking at his dugout. Aaron Boone had gotten tossed and he was out of the game. And then judges at the plate and he keeps looking, but the Yankees are up sick, like six to nothing at this yeah, point. Six run, six run lead. So, you know, why would he need to, he, it's Aaron judge. He doesn't need to cheat. He said, now he is the captain now. Look at me. Sure. I'm the captain now. He said that he was hearing the guys in the dugout. They kept chirping at the umpire and he didn't like that. Yeah. And he so said, he I, was I, like, we got giving a six run lead. Why do we need to do that? Right. And so he was giving him the eye. Okay. Stop the it. Captain's evil eye. That's right. I'm the captain now. That's right. So the thing with Toronto is, is that both times he ends up getting a hit, one of them being a home run. Um, but isn't that what he does? Yeah, it's Aaron Judge. Hello. Duh. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I watched it and it just, I I, I tend to believe, uh, to believe Mr. Judge. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta go with you there, Judge. Judge is, um, I think he's got good character. Yeah. He um, have you ever wondered what it would be like to get now when I was in little league, before I asked this question, I wasn't starting a game when I was in little league. And, uh, it was one of the days off because I was a great little leaguer. I, I have to blow my own horn. I, you know, but I was, I, if you didn't wear the helmet and the mask, you couldn't crouch down to warm up the pitcher. So I was warming up our best pitcher. Ricky Decker was his name. And Ricky had a rising fastball. But so we're in there and he's he's throwing and uh, he throws and I had my glove up to get it. And at the last second, it went up, hit me right in the forehead. And uh, mom and you weren't even at the game yet. And oh. they took me to the hospital because they didn't know what was going on or whatever. I had a, uh, a baseball, half of a baseball coming out of my forehead. I was fine. Kind of. Um, anyway, not that I was fine before that. It still affects you to, to this day. Anyway, so I know what it's like to get hit. And it was, uh, you know, it was fast. I mean, he wasn't throwing 92. But have you ever wondered what a 92 mile an hour ball would do off of your head? Well, it can crack your skull. That's for sure. It, it could do that. It would allow us. Uh, what we got to do is, is we need to get uh, Ryan Feltner on the uh, on the show when he's feeling better. And he can tell us what it feels like to get hit in the head like that. Oh. Because that's just what happened over the weekend. Uh, took a shot. Do you remember who it was that uh, that hit him? I missed Nick that Castellanos. Part. Ah, Castellanos. And he said when it happened, he wanted, you know, to go. He was like, I need to get to the mound, but you're also in a game. And he's like, I just like, I have to go to first. You know, I have to run. So he got to first. He said when he turned around, he was hoping that it, it hadn't happened, but it did happen. Now, he was able to walk off the field, um, and they took him to a local uh -huh. hospital for observation, and he does have a skull fracture and a concussion. So, no doubt, he has ended up on the wheel of
like that one. Okay. Hey, Elvis Andres of the White Sox is on the 10-day IL with the strained oblique. Oblique, oblique, omasa, oh, 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 my side. Nick Horner is on the 10-day IL with a strained hamstring. Luke Voigt is also on the IL with a strained neck. And twins Tyler Molly um, will have Tommy... John surgery. He was a great pitcher. Tommy John was, you know, but add, add another one to the list. I know the list is, is this a pitch clock issue? I, I'm going to say yes. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> it goes with my story on uh nine, any know it all. Check it out. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, we also found out Kumar Rocker, who is uh, in the Rangers organization now. Now, he was going to be a Met because he had been drafted. And then uh, they did his physical and they were like, nope. So then he's with the Rangers. I think he played independent ball. Now he's with the Rangers. He also is having Tommy John surgery. He got drafted. They, uh, after, after they brought him in. They realized after his, you know, he was like uh, Correa. His medicals weren't checking out. Right. And so they they just let him be. So he had to wait so he could be drafted again. Right. And then he got drafted by the Rangers, uh, joining a former Vandy Vandy, um, teammate uh, in, uh, what's his name, Leiter. Right. And uh, now, which I kind of feel like, the Rangers probably should have seen that happening. The Mets got out of paying him while he's going through the Tommy John. And it was probably, they could probably see that that was coming because yeah. he was having issues in Vandy as well. Right. Yeah. So this is, I think probably a long time coming for a rocker, but we'll see. So that's it. Yeah. It's a the- shorter, it's a shorter amount of people getting on the wheel because but everybody's already there. That's that, right. Exactly. They're still spinning. And these guys decided to uh, join them. They're like, hey, they're having lots of fun over there. And we, we might see, like I said, a couple of those guys coming up because we talked about uh, Altuve and, of course, Jared Walsh, who have both been on there all season. Uh, Jared Walsh, even from last season, um, are now um, uh, getting ready to come off. So we might start seeing... Uh, you know, the uh, the overall um, volume uh, coming off the wheel a little bit. But I think mostly position players more than pitchers. Seems like yeah. a lot of pitchers are uh, are joining the Tommy John wing. The Tommy John wheel. The Tommy John wheel. wheel. Yes. All right. Uh, about time for us to check out. But before we do that, uh, it's time for another fashion segment with Jana and the city connects. Um, a lot of people are saying this is a win, but they said that about Seattle. I will say it is a good alternative Jersey, but, uh, what did you think? I fashion guru, Jana. <laughs> it's I'm with you. It's a good alternate jersey 
you know how like I think it's the Diamondbacks that always seem to have multiple jerseys. Um, but this is just this is not what I wanted. I wanted chili spaghetti on the on the jersey. Didn't get that. It's an all black uniform, which is cool. It has Cincy in red, and it's blazed across the chest in an infrared style. So it's supposed to really pop out at you. Um, but and it's meant to attract people from younger generations, apparently. Right. But, that's that was the one thing. The they're trying to get that, you know, the people that we keep talking about right. that Manfred is focused on because it's not about the game. It's about selling the merchandise. Exactly. Yes. Um, Cincinnati's gonna wear their City Connects in when they start their three game series against the Yankees. And then every Friday home all their Friday home games, they'll wear them. So but they're not, I mean, it's just a black uniform, you know, it's not super You could probably exciting. go down to the mall to one of the mini sports memorabilia type stores, and they may have had an alternate uh, like black jersey for fashion purposes. You can buy a black jersey, Dodgers jersey. The Dodgers never wear a black jersey, but... Yeah. You can you, you can get those because right. it's of a, a fashion thing. So it's not as if this is any kind of a huge thing. They they mostly said right that they're pushing to the future. Right. The only thing that I remember, and you can correct me if there's anything else, but the there's red piping or something around the 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 uh, the crown of the cap. That is kind of a um uh uh. uh nod to like the old old cincinnati red stockings yeah red leggings or whatever they were hat right yeah they're 1919 era caps so that's the history part um the logo um is on the sleeve and um you know but it's like the jersey is supposed to be like neon lights with this infrared red color. Um, but I don't know. I, they're just not when I, you know, you think city connect, none have come out that have just been like, Whoa, those are really cool. Um, I gotta say, you know, like the minor league teams when they play as their alternate, you know, so the isotopes, for example, they play so many games as the mariachis. Yeah, which and, is very cool. And they had their, I mean, now that is like, a, that's what I would envision as like a city connect, right? Because it's connecting with New Mexico. Um, they also have one where they play as the green chili cheeseburgers, and it's got a cheeseburger on it. You know, like, this is what I wanted from Cincinnati. I wanted the spaghetti, the chili spaghetti. Didn't get it. They have on the inside of the jerseys collar, again, no one's going to see this, is the Cincinnati's motto, which is strength and unity, and then they have a Buckeye leaf, which is you know, an Ohio thing. Ohio thing. They're not super excited. I mean, they look cool as far as they're different, but they're not. It's just like, hey, we're gonna have this jersey. We're gonna have this jersey and this jersey, 
and we're going to wear them on alternate, you know, every other night it'll be white and black and white and black and do that, you know, like the black and white cookie, whatever. Right. There you go. Unity <laughs> right yeah. there. It is. Um, and, you know, that could be said too, like with the Seattle, the one thing I liked about Seattle was the blue and the black pants, the blue jersey mm-hmm. and the black pants it was different looking. Right. So it was kind of cool, but I just didn't, the city connect part, I still don't, it's making me feel better about the angels thing in that to me though, city connect for the city that they're in either should have been LA. If they're going to claim that they could have put stars, they could put Hollywood, they could have gone that route, or they could have put mouse ears. They could have done a whole (laughs) thing with uh, Disneyland and made a whole big thing and got two markets at once. Mm -hmm. Cause the Disney people, would have bought into and i don't mean the disney people like disney corporate i'm talking about the disney fans yeah disney fans that you know you could have done ears that had the halo yeah all kinds of stuff i mean caps could have had marketing yeah we're marketing geniuses we are red solo cups coliseum maybe we can get them to do it in vegas because before we go the a's have committed to vegas they're going to build a, uh, a stadium on where the Tropicana is, uh, and they hope to be there by 2027. So the question is, will they go down and play somewhere in Vegas? In well, could they, play, could they, they could, play at Allegiant? Field? I don't know if they could play there. Um, they might have to play where the 50, uh, the Area 51ers or whatever uh, uh, their team is yeah. there. The a- um, I think it's their I think they're called oh, the aviators the now. Aviators or the aces or something now. Yeah. Um. But the question would be too is will Oakland let them continue play in the Coliseum after next season? Right. Uh, or boot them because hey you're leaving anyway we're not we're going to tear it down do something else. Yeah we're going to let the possums awesome. take over. Exactly. It's a wildlife refuge. Be more successful than you guys. Uh. Speaking of the A's, the A's are the only team left without double digits wins. As of Sunday, they only had nine wins. Ooh. Even the the Rays have now lost more than the A's have won. Wow. And that'll put a wrap on this week's Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us. Remember, once again, you can find us on Twitter at SiblingRivalryBB without the A. And on Facebook and Instagram at SiblingRivalryBB with the A. Stop by our website. Check out our walk-up songs for this season, uh, among other things. And you can always listen to any of our episodes or most recent episodes you can catch on our website siblingrivalrybb.com and uh our fanatics links right yeah we got fanatics links up uh we have a dodger angel uh, but click on either one they both work and if you don't want dodgers or angels because you're a fan of another team which the is Orioles or the pirates oh yeah um you can get their gear there too they always have good sales uh, good stuff going on and cool. Um, you know, as we're getting into, we had the mothers, uh, that mother's day with, you know, all pink, those hats are available. Father's day is coming up, but before that you have Memorial day, you're going to have the military appreciation. Like this is military appreciation month. Got some cool hats that you have one. Yes. Yeah, so the angels, I do. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take a picture of it. We'll post it up there on Twitter. 
uh, as one that uh, not only you can uh, you can see what they have to offer, but um, you see how cool it looks. And um, but you can get one of those from any team. Yeah, uh, they're they're on. all there. But click yeah, click on the link on our website, siblingrivalrybb.com. All right. Once again, go out, see some live baseball. doesn't matter if it's a little league, if it's major league, or anywhere in between. Even stop by and watch some kids play in a sandlot if kids are still doing that. You know, I'd even watch a wiffle game, wiffle ball game in somebody's backyard if I could not have to sit through the Angels some days. So, with that... Uh, It's been great hanging out with you. We'll see you next time right here on the Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to swing away.